Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Zock and this is Unlocking Mindset. Today I'm talking with Dr. Sandra Thiederman. I first encountered Dr. Thiederman's work when I read a couple of her books while researching unconscious bias. I really liked Sandra's practical and accessible approach to the complex topic of biases. During this podcast, Dr. Thiederman walks us through the anatomy of biases. She explains why we are not bad people for having them and provides practical steps we can take to erode the biases that we have. It is my privilege to introduce you to Dr. Thiederman. Dr. Sandra Thiederman has 25 years experience as a speaker, trainer, and author on the topics of workplace inclusion and unconscious bias. Since receiving her doctorate from UCLA in cross-cultural studies, she has helped professionals in Fortune 500 companies, public sector organizations, and dozens of associations find ways to work more comfortably and effectively in an increasingly diverse environment. Sandra has served on the Diversity Cabinet of the American Red Cross, is an expert panelist for the Global Diversity and Inclusion Benchmarks, and has been widely featured in the media, including mention in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and the New York Times. She is the author of six books, including the Diversity and Inclusion Handbook and Three Keys for Defeating Unconscious Bias. Watch think at. In her spare time, Sandra applies her interest in diversity in a very practical way. She volunteers as a puppy raiser for an organization called Canine Companions for Independence. In the process of raising her 12th dog for the organization, her hope is that it will one day become a life-changing assistance dog to a person with a disability. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Sandra Thiederman. Thanks, Jennifer, so much. Really appreciate that nice introduction. Yeah. Excited to talk about this topic. I think it's, in my view, it's fascinating. It's also got a lot of practical implications for us all. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, how about we, we start with a baseline definition of the word bias. Can you unpack that word for us? Help us understand yeah. what it means. Thanks for asking that. I think that's an important step because I've discovered that when I do my facilitations of programs on the topic, sometimes what happens is I'll start off and if I'm not real clear on what we're talking about, about 45 minutes in, there might be a question that tells me that the person and the people that were listening weren't quite where I was. So uh -huh. I think it's good we really clarify that. Uh, a bias, as we're using it here, as it pertains to inclusion and diversity, is an inflexible positive or negative belief about a category of people. This is not your preference for Mexican food or your, um, your liking of one individual person. That's different. This is about, to work backwards on that definition, uh, a category of people it's also, to go to the beginning, inflexible. It's, it's a belief that says all have a particular characteristic. All white people have a characteristic. All black people, all people with disabilities, all people from California, all people 
wear lavender shirts have a characteristic. No matter what the group is, it's that inflexibility. It's also not what happens when we learn about a culture, for example. We learn stuff. We've taken classes in Asian cultures and American culture and different parts of the country and the beliefs and the like. That learning is still valid if we don't apply it inflexibly. It's, it's like a, a guideline, you know, working generality, but it's the inflexibility when we get in trouble. And finally, notice I said positive or negative belief. Uh-huh. Biases are always a problem every single time because they keep us from seeing people for who they are. However, sometimes the content of that belief is a positive characteristic. Uh, all millennials are good with technology. Uh, all French are good cooks, right? All women are nurturing. Whatever it is, those are good things to be. But if they're inflexibly applied to someone, you're going to not see them for who they are as an individual. And you might assume they're that way and they're not. And that's where we get all messed up. So uh, bias is an inflexible, positive or negative belief about a particular category of people. So that's our starting point. Okay, thank you for that background. That helps. And yeah. what it makes me think of in terms of mindset is a fixed mindset, that it's one way or the other. Exactly. Being inflexible. It's a fixed mindset. That's, that's very, very perceptive, and that's ex another good way to describe it. Just isn't responsive to exceptions to what they believed in the first place. Okay, and how do we get to that point? Biases biases always come from a variety of sources they and why do they have a living place why do they have a place why do we learn them why do we sort of need them fundamentally human beings are trying to sort out a complex universe that's what we're trying to do and you know what guys especially now don't you agree it's like with covid with with the political situation with the demonstrations, life is feeling a little shaky to people. And uh -huh. that's when we're particularly prone to wanting to put people in boxes. And that's why we're receptive to messages from childhood, from very extreme positive or negative experiences with the group uh, and to the media, which is where they all come from. So we're receptive to them to begin with, and they come at us from these, from these different directions. And I'd like to kind of address that receptivity just for a second yeah. longer. Um, I believe that biases are akin to magical thinking. Most of us, and we aren't, can't be interactive here, but it might be kind of fun to be thinking about it, have some superstitions, right? I mean, there's, we've all, we don't want to admit it maybe, right? But we all have our little rituals that we do to make us feel a little more secure. And it's not that we really believe them, but we kind of still do it. I'll still take, take salt if I spill it and put it over my shoulder and I've got a darn PhD, right? I'm supposed <laughs> to be left brained and not think of this stuff. Um, and I'll bet most of those of your listeners have, uh, candles on some sort of a cake or something on their birthdays. And if they're asked to make a wish on it, I'll bet you that most sure. of them make a wish. And they, you, since you can't tell the wish, nobody knows what you wished. 
and you could just stand there and not do anything, but you do make a wish. That's feeding back into the same human place where biases are, that same desire to control. Uh, and it's, it shows how kind of primitive biases are. That's one reason I mentioned that to kind of wake us up to the fact that kind of don't make any sense. Yeah, and I'm glad you made mention of the word primitive because it makes me think of, you know, we, we form patterns around things. We're looking for meaning and we're looking to box things. And it, it, to me, that sounds like a response, you know, a, a fight flight response. It's, it's yes. out of fear. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, it goes all the way back, you know, to when we lived in tribes in a way we still do, but when we lived in tribes and how do you know how to react to the neighboring tribe? to survive and make sure you still have your land and your animals and your and your and your women and all the other things you're exactly right it goes back to a real a real fight or flight survival it's primal stuff primal stuff okay okay yeah. and where would you say what is the most unsuspected source of our biases oh that's a good question um let me actually let me tell you a little story that may answer okay. that in a roundabout way uh there's a test you can take that came out of harvard called the implicit association test online you might be yes familiar. i've heard of it Jennifer, mm -hmm. yeah you might go in and take it because it's kind of a kick it, it's really okay. interesting all right i took this test i can go through more details if you want to but right now i was thinking I took this test and they've got all kinds of different categories like race and skin color and religion and gender and disability and, and, and weight and all kinds of other things that they change. And it's not really designed to identify a bias per se. It's designed, however, to give you a red flag to something you better watch out for. Well, this was really interesting. I, I took them all uh -huh. and two that I took, one was people with disabilities and the other was attitudes toward people whom our culture says are overweight. When I took both of those, I came out with a very strong preference for people with disabilities and people whom our culture says are overweight. Now that's not necessarily a good thing because that's a bias, that's a positive bias. It's not, mm -hmm. I should come out neutral. Like, I don't know, whatever, these are human beings, they're whoever they are, but uh -huh. no, I came out at this extreme end. And I was bewildered, Jennifer. I got to tell you, I didn't have the faintest idea why in terms of subtle, how do we learn them? And so I thought about it and the and I said, oh my gosh, I thought about the weight one. Mm -hmm. My sister, my only sibling, only immediate family member that's still alive, we're very close, uh, we love her very much, has have been struggling with her weight her whole life. Oh. It's been an issue and at times it's more at times it's less but it's always been there as a sort of an identifying thing with her mm -hmm. and something that she's had to keep an eye on and I believe it I can just feel it instinctively that's where that preference came from I had no knowledge of it no mm -hmm. knowledge at all and people with disabilities that one really bewildered me I'm going what would that be and uh -huh. then I figured it out I'm, as you mentioned in the introduction, involved with Canine Companions for Independence that raises yes. this and talks to people with disabilities. It's such a positive thing in my life. And the people I meet are so positive. I know that's where that came from. And the fascinating part, 
no awareness of it before, and no awareness that any influence was there. In this case, a good influence, but still, we have to be very careful. So I we think do. It's a good yep. We do. Yep. And I can share a story of my own, too, that it surprised me. I can recall a situation that I was triggered by, and um, it involved another uh, woman. Uh -huh. And I stopped and I asked myself, what if this statement had been made by a man? Would it have triggered me in the same way? And I was really kind of disappointed in myself that, yeah, it would have triggered me differently. And so it, it raised up this, this, bias that I wasn't aware was there. Is, well, I have to tell you though, Jennifer, what's so impressive about that is your awareness of it. And that's, that's one of the key things we need to do is get in the habit of noticing that stuff. And uh -huh. because you noticed it, right? And because you yes. noticed it, you could identify it. And now it's top of mind and you can begin to catch yourself and yeah. gradually erode it. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've got a whole activity I talk about called the first thoughts activity, which is oh. watch that watch that first thought. You don't have to kick yourself for it. You don't have to beat yourself uh -huh. up over it. Just get watch it. And especially kind of like these days with the stress and all that, there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. Can you walk us through that activity so that our listeners can try yeah. it? What, what basically when I do the facilitation uh, of it, I put up on the slides a list of names of groups of people. And it might be uh, a, a Democrat or a Republican or a homeless person on the street or an immigrant from Mexico. It doesn't matter, it kind of depends upon the group I'm working with. And I invite the participants to simply watch the first thought that comes to mind. That's all, just notice it. It might be positive, it might be negative, or you might think of some specific person that you know. And the idea at that point is to, can, can everyone hear my dog barking outside? <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. That's okay. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. If it gets to be too much, we can take a break and put them okay. in the crate. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but um, watching that first thought then becomes a habit through time. And as we watch it, we can then explore it to see whether or not it really is a bias. And we've got some questions we can ask about that first thought and to see whether it's a bias. And one of those questions is, have you had an intense experience, positive or negative, with uh, that with that care when that characteristic applied to an individual. In other words, did you have a gay cousin, a gay male cousin who was excellent at design and you loved him and he was wonderful and that's a positive experience that might have created the bias? Or did you have your purse stolen by someone of a particular background and the t intense negativity of that? If you've had a negative experience, positive or negative, that that might have created a bias. It's an interesting clue uh, to that possibly being a bias. Okay. And so then once we're aware of it, 
What is the next step we can take? One of the next steps that we can take, and there's, there's several of them, um, is to, uh, and again, apologies for the dogs, <laughs> um, is to um, take a beat next time you're about to make a decision or say something that involves the group about which you had that first thought. Because what we've discovered through time is that the brain has the power to move from the irrational parts of the brain where the bias lives to the rational part of the brain if we give it time. Now, I'm not talking about the deepest rooted biases in the universe, the deep ones that are supported by the culture, but these other ones that most of us are afflicted with. So take, get in the habit of taking a beat before you make those decisions. Walk around the block, sleep on it, uh, go get a cup of coffee. It's sort of like the count to 10 thing our parents taught us before we get mad. You know, it's, it's count to 10 before you do it. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that is an excellent way to gain kind of control of it. Okay. Huh? And then a second strategy is to attack that bias with logic. Mm. Ask yourself, how many people do I really know? Yes. Really know. I don't mean seen across the parking lot or heard a rumor about or saw on TV. I mean really know who have the characteristic that popped into your brain. The chances are, people, it's really few. It's really few, if even any at all. That logic can begin to erode it. And secondly, ask yourself, how did I learn it? Was the source of my bias reliable? Mm. And was it a or was it a racist teacher or a racist parent or again maybe one experience that that was a problem and if that was the case that it was reliable i would really be surprised because most of the time the sources of our beliefs are are going to be unreliable and those two factors how many do i know was the source reliable can gradually begin to erode that bias. Let me tell you a quick story. Yeah. Um, I was doing a workshop actually here in my home in San Diego um, at a local hospital. And there were a group of about 200 people. And as part of the program, I asked, does anyone have a bias they're willing to share? Mm. And this woman, I could picture, so funny, it's been like 15 years, I picture her. <laughs> Yeah, it's where you do that. In the back row, I'm looking at her right now in the back row, uh -huh. um, raises her hand and she says, I've got a bias. I, I've got one, but mine's not a bias. Mine's true. And I go, mm -hmm. you know, Jennifer's nodding like, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's kind of, where are we now, right? Uh -huh. so, but I took a chance and yeah. I kept going and I said, okay, all right, well, what is it? And she said, all Mexicans are destructive. And I, so it was really negative. Oh. And I said, okay. And, and I kind of was trying to model for the rest of the group how to handle those situations in life yeah. rather than jumping all over and accusing her of being racist. Mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's stay with this logic thing, you know? 
So I said to her, oh, okay. I said, how do you know? And she answered, she was completely like innocent and guileless. She didn't get, she didn't get what she was doing at all. And she said, well, I live in an all Mexican neighborhood and two weeks prior to this program, uh, I was home alone one night and these two boys from down the street got drunk and they came up, they tried to break in. And then when they were done, they were so angry at not getting in, they destroyed my front fence. So I said back to her, oh, that must've been terrifying. And she said, it really was. Mm -hmm. And I said, but what about everyone else in the neighborhood? And she came back to me again, not getting the irony. Uh And she said, they are wonderful people. I wouldn't live any, isn't it interesting? I wouldn't live anywhere else. I mean, this just great. We go to barbecues together. We take care of each other's kids. It's just great. So then I came in for the kill, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then I said, I said, well, how come then when I asked for bias, you didn't say all Mexicans are wonderful people, which would be equally ridiculous because it's a gen- it's an inflexible generality. Uh-huh. And she actually teared up on me a little bit. And oh. she said, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did it. She was such a lovely example for the rest of us in the room and maybe for you guys too. Yes. Of how we intensity of an emotion and fear, as you said, Jennifer, fear can block us from being able to see people for who they are in order to control her universe. And she was frightened. She went straight to bias as her tool. And the bias was a negative one. And she forgot about everybody else. And, and that is a very human, human emotion. Uh, So I think we need to kind of watch out for that. Yes, indeed. And, you know, how wonderful that you were able to help her see. Yes. And she was receptive. And I think we all need to kind of remember, especially with the tension these days, um, not everyone's going to suddenly melt and go, oh, I get it. You know, they may not because people don't want to admit stuff like that. And they also have this emotion that that's blocking their ability to hear you. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they won't go away with it. It doesn't mean that. I think we're kind of thinking the person's going to go, oh my goodness, you know, yeah. <laughs> I have biases, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, all righty, all righty then, you know, it's yeah. not, no, yeah. <laughs> not, I would probably not be that way. So anyway, give them, give them time, give, give people time. I think I got kind of lucky that day, particularly yeah. for 200 people, uh-huh. uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful to her. Yeah. To this, to this young woman. I, I really am. And so I, I think that's, uh, I think it's a nice little story that tells a good tale about, um, about biases and the fact that we can become aware of them. And then by applying that logic, how many do you know? Who do you really, who do you know? Do you know them well? That logic can kind of help um, also erode, erode it. Uh, yeah. I've also got another little exercise or a, um, a way of approaching this that might help. And then I want to talk if we have time a little bit about common ground and the power of common ground. Yeah. Um, but when you so I've talked about becoming aware of a bias and taking a beat and applying logic um, in connection with awareness, when you're um, 
when you find yourself making an assumption about someone, there's a trick you can play. So let me give it to you this way. Okay. Let's say that you're in the grocery store and uh -huh. you're being really good and you're six feet apart and you've got your mask on, uh -huh. time, of course, and you're grumpy. Okay. And people tend to be grumpy these days. So you're grumpy and you want to get home and it's hot and you're sweaty and it's just all this bad stuff's going on. And the line's long mm. and you look ahead in the line to the clerk behind the cash register and nothing's automated in this particular grocery store. So the clerk is having to do it all, make the change, package the bag, whole shot. And as you watch uh -huh. this person, you notice that they're of some visible ethnicity. It doesn't matter what they are. Uh -huh. And you also notice that every time they make the change, they make a mistake and then they have to redo it. Mm -hmm. And then you notice that when they package the, the bag, they put the dang bread in the bottom of the bag, right? And then they put oh. the cans on top and then the purchaser gets mad and says, redo it and have to redo it. And at this point, you say to yourself, why do they hire those people? Okay. Okay. Those people. Big clue to something going on. Mm -hmm. To establish if that's a bias or not, and to wake up to it so that we can attack it with logic and all the rest, switch the person in your mind. Switch them from that ethnicity to any other ethnicity. I don't care. Just change mm -hmm. them and ask yourself, would you still have said, why do they hire those people? Or would you say, why did they hire that person? If you're saying now that person, you got a bias on your hands. Yeah, that's no just like generous. the example I gave earlier with men and women in that, that story that I shared, yes. switching the, the characters. Yeah, that's a great, great tip. Yeah, it's a tip. I think what happens in the literature and in our thinking is an emphasis on biases of this cosmic deep-rooted thing and and it you have needs you need psychotherapy to get rid of them and i'm not saying again that isn't the case sometimes but the vast majority of the time you know it's watch those first thoughts identify if there's bias take a beat you know apply logic to it and and the other thing that's so powerful is identifying common ground between yeah. self and others. Um, this has been studied from many different directions, all the way from uh, having black and white college students who are racist against each other, putting a dorm together and then seeing how they feel about each other at the end of the semester, simple uh -huh. things like that to elaborate studies involving larger populations. Here's the deal about it. And this can be so misunderstood. So uh -huh. um, uh, listen to me, listen carefully and I'll yes. speak carefully. Um, what the way this works is when you've got two, two people, two groups of people that are different in some way. Let me use a really simplistic example. Uh, dog lovers and cat lovers. Okay. Okay. Jennifer, are you a dog lover or a cat lover? Are you both? Or, well, I'm both, but I'm more so a cat lover. You're on the cat spectrum. Yes. Okay. She's <laughs> on the cat spectrum. Okay. Okay, good. All right. I'm dogs. Uh -huh. I'm a dog. As you can tell by the noise in the podcast and <laughs> my hobby. Okay. My, my volunteer work. So, all right. We've got 
dog lovers and cat lovers, think of these, these are two separate groups. Think of them as ethnic groups or racial groups. I don't care, gender, age, doesn't matter. Two separate uh -huh. groups. Dog lovers and cat lovers, each of us have, I think Jennifer, you would agree, some sort of a culture that sort of goes with us. There's a little, don't you agree? It's like we think of cat and dog lovers being just somehow, dog lovers like me are dirtier, I guess. You know, it's <laughs> like we've got more dog hair here on the floor. Cat lovers tend to be, in my mind, generally uh, the cat's inside. That changes the whole relationship. And can, can you think of any cultural kind of thing that goes with being a cat lover? Well, I guess what comes to mind is cats and independence versus um, dogs. And I think this comes from a friend in a conversation where he was more of a dog person. And he was telling me that he much prefers dogs because they are they don't come to you just because they want something. <laughs> they love you no matter what. Cats are more independent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I see right there, yeah. right there. We just did a kind of a kind of a cultural difference thing, uh -huh. right? Now, so I've got these two groups, and again, you can substitute ethnicity, whatever you want. But what third group do cat lovers and dog lovers share? Animal lovers, right? right. We are animal lovers and, and we're still, and this is so important. You're still a cat lover. I'm still a dog lover. We're still who we are. Nobody's saying we don't get to be who we are. We value the diversity. We honor the diversity. We notice it. We encourage it, all that. But at this exact same moment, we've got this third group, the animal lover group or whatever it else it is in your, in a workplace. Uh, and it's within that group that the biases begin to heal. Why? There's several different reasons. One simple one is that we're hanging together more, right? You, when you're with people, you, um, you see them more as individuals because you're interacting with them, not as a group, but as an individual. Uh -huh. We bring more, oddly enough, with our brains, we bring more neurons to the task once to, of seeing individuals once we identify them as this us. It, it's uh -huh. just fascinating how it works. And then also, we, um, be, as we know the person as an individual, and we share this third group, the thing that defined them as an other cat lover mm -hmm. becomes less important to us. We don't, no, you're Jennifer, you're Jennifer now, you know, you're, you're Jennifer, and we've gotten to know a teeny bit, it, it's like, so you're this individual, you're no longer defined to me, cat lover person, right? With a characteristic that goes with it, right? right. It, you know, it just kind of goes away. It doesn't mean it's not still there. So mm -hmm. it, that way, that, that's that thing that is the bias. And it just kind of goes, well, I don't care about that anymore. That we're talking about Jennifer, right? Yes. And the more of that usness you've got, the less bias there's going to be. And one other thing that happens with this usness uh -huh. Is that when we define, uh, when we think of an us, and an us does something bad, with an us, we tend to, bad meaning or inadequate or makes a mistake or something, mm -hmm. we tend to think it has to do with circumstances. If us 
does something good, it's character. If an other, I know, is it funny? Yeah, if an other does something inadequate in some way, what do you think, Jennifer? It's character, right? Uh-huh. If an other excels, it's circumstances. So the more usness we can get going, the less of that happens, all right? So, because we're in this us land now, we're not right. we're We've united land. instead of divided. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, what's happening in a lot of organizations today is they're making an effort to bring people together who are different. Like, for example, there's things called, they have different names, special interest groups, focus groups, uh, allied groups, it doesn't, the name doesn't matter. But within particularly corporations, they used to have, they still do, groups that bring together employees of same ethnicity or gender or even sexual orientation and a variety of ethnicities and the like. Okay. Uh-huh. But what's happening now is they're adding to those groups around issues or needs like uh, groups of employees that have adopted children, groups uh-huh. of employees that have elder care responsibilities, uh, groups of employees that have uh, interest in spirituality and religion, but who knows what that spirit, all kinds of variety of the spirit that happened a lot after 9-11. Uh, uh-huh. Veterans groups, uh, uh, all kind groups, people that have an interest in art or football, even things like that. And what's happening is in within those groups and they meet and they do activities together and they contribute to the organization in a variety of different ways you've got a bunch of people of different races and different genders and different ethnicities and all this stuff. And what happens is those, they, all this cool stuff that happens in this land of commonality can begin to happen. And that, as I guess you can tell by my demeanor, I just, I think that's the answer. I, th- I love all the other stuff, the logic and all that, but I think, mm-hmm. think it's real important we emphasize that, focus on that. Again, everybody gets to be who they are too. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you because I in that I see trust building and yeah. collaboration and people working together to Absolutely. create outcome instead of working against one another. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say is the number one thing for us to understand in the workplace about bias? Oh, she wants one that makes it so hard. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going back and forth between two. Okay. Oh, I think I think if I I think I can fake it by kind of putting it in one sentence. Uh, <laughs> that works. That every that everyone has them and they don't make us bad people. Yes, I would like you to expand upon that because I think that is a real issue for folks that that they have a sense of guilt or shame about having a a bias and you know those feelings i think are barriers to uh moving forward and and understanding that our biases those are things that we have learned anything that we've learned we can unlearn yes 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 what we've learned we can unlearn and what you're you when you're talking about what you just said something that i'm even even writing down here that i thought was very insightful if we feel so much pain over having the bias Mm -hmm. we might 
blame the group about which we have the bias for that pain. Yes, because if, if you didn't exist, I wouldn't have to feel this way. And mm -hmm. that, this just came to me just now, triggered yeah. by what you said. And that that importance of recognizing that we've all got them and they don't make us bad people. It's what we do about them that matters. Right. Right there that brings us together. Uh-huh. Don't you agree? And I do. Yeah, yeah. And and that the pain separates us. And also, if if I go to somebody and I say, Oh, you, you know, you're biased, what? They're, you you creep you, you know? Yeah. What, what? They're gonna look at it? They're gonna be willing to look at their first thoughts and do this. They're not going to. They're gonna wanna say, that's not there, not me, not me. And right. and and, and I'm not saying, by the way, that, you know, all biases are equal. Uh -huh. I mean, for one thing, in our share, roughly shared culture here in the U.S., uh, white, the white population has more power in general mm -hmm. than other populations. That's true. So that yes. means that biases we have have more power to keep people back, to, to damage people and the like. So I'm not saying they're sort of equal, but I'm right. saying we have... Uh, we all have them and we have equal responsibility for working on them. And there's a lot we can do. Yeah, yeah there truly is. And I, you know, I feel like it, you know, it starts with the individual. Yes. And it works out from there. And so not having that shame or guilt is really a key to the yeah. beginning, because when you have shame or guilt, that type of thing, you want to hide Yes. And you can easily become defensive. Yes. And that just, that stops things yes. right yes. away. Yes. Yes. And we don't need to hide these days. We need to be out and not yeah. be Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Proceed with curiosity versus judgment. I, I love that's it. Huge. I love that. I love it. Proceed with curiosity, not judgment. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Sandra, how can people stay in touch with you and follow what you're up to? Well, I think the best way to do it is go to my website, which is theaterman.com, uh, T-H-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there. And you also have my email there and you can just get in touch. And I'd love to talk to anybody just to talk about this stuff. You know, and call with questions, hard questions. I like hard questions, you know? Yeah. We'll see if we can work them out together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And how can people get their hands on your books? Yes. Go to, the, uh, go to that same website and go to the store. And uh, the book is right there. There's a PDF version and a hard copy version. Uh, and there's actually two different handbooks. Uh, the one that I'm particularly enthusiastic about these days is Three Keys to Defeating Unconscious Bias. It's nice you know, I tried to distill, I wrote a bigger book once, which is now out of print, but this, this three keys book takes this stuff, everything I just said, and a little bit more, and just distills it and, yes. it, and makes it very practical and it's accessible, I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. And, you know, I've read both of your books and I found oh, them both you. accessible and that's, you know, something that I love about them. And, you know, I, <laughs> There's probably more words highlighted in there than not highlighted now. After going oh, you're lovely. So nice. <laughs> but I could get through it, you know, in an afternoon, and it gave me just what I just what I needed. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, so glad. Yeah. I'm so I'm so glad. Well, but again, I invite oh. questions from everyone, and thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. 
yes. having the, I love the conversation and maybe you and I could talk more about this one day. That sounds good. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Let's work to have more usness and less biases. Remember the three steps to eroding biases. Become aware, take a beat, and apply logic. Check out Dr. Thiederman's website at thiederman.com. I'll also have that address posted for you in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Unlocking Mindset, and I'm Jennifer Zock. Thank you.